Hey everybody, welcome to Metal Misconduct. Brian Slegel here from Metal Blade Records along with, of course, Sean O'Rourke from NHL.com. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing great. The trade deadline's over. We all survived. Uh, wasn't as exciting maybe as some of us thought it would be, but uh, otherwise doing good. Ready for the stretch run now and some uh, some new metal. I was so <laughs> I was so excited about trade deadline day i was like i got up early and you know and on the west coast obviously i had to start taping the early part of it because it started 5 a.m out here but i was excited and i was you know working and watching the the tv and just nothing is happening very disappointing it was yeah it was disappointing i mean it was still interesting to watch it had the whole national opera even though he never moved i mean that that whole story is just unbelievable to me and then there was a late flurry nobody big but just surprised me at some of the prices that were paid late um, for guys showing how desperate teams were. But there, you know what? There's so many teams. There's so many teams in it this year. Uh, you can probably only throw six teams out. And I mean, a lot of them are playing for eighth place, and they're going to be cannon fodder, maybe. But you never know what's going to happen. So it's kind of hard to sell to your fans. Hey, we're going to move all our guys. We're only three points out of the playoffs. Well, that's what George McPhee had said, the Caps GM. He said like there were a lot of buyers, but no sellers, because you really only had three or four teams that are completely out of it that were willing to make any moves. So I guess there was a lot of talk. I wish we could have heard some of the talk from all the GMs and stuff. That would have been interesting. But uh, other than that, it was, yeah, not uh, not so exciting. And it's become such a big media thing now with, you know, the NHL Network had, what, eight hours of coverage and, you know, from TSN in Canada. And they have, I don't know how many, 15 different analysts on there. And it was all kind of for nothing. Yeah, well, not for nothing, because you're still talking about hockey, so that's an awesome thing. I know at one point TSN was projecting the Olympic teams for the 2014 tournament um, to fill some time. So, you know, there was a lot lot of hockey talk for the hockey junkie. There just wasn't that that big blockbuster, you know, that's going to capture the imaginations of, of, uh, I don't want to say casual fans because nothing really captures their imagination, but for like not that diehard junkie like you or I, just that guy that kind of goes along and all of a sudden he's like, hey, Rick Nash got traded. Well, I got to check that out. Um, That didn't happen. Nobody said, oh, my God, Paul Paul Gostad got traded. I got to go see what happened. Yeah, well, I think there's two. There were two interesting stories, and only two that I could figure out from the draft. Um, the first one being that Nash didn't get traded, obviously, and then Scott Housen, the GM for Columbus, came out afterwards and said that Nash went to him to ask to be traded, which we didn't know beforehand. Yeah, no, and, and it just keeps getting crazier today. The day after the trade deadline, um, Nash finally decided he was going to explain himself he, he refused to do it on trade deadline day and he had no comment the day before the trade deadline but so today he decided to explain himself and uh, said you know he was just doing what was best for the franchise that if they were going to rebuild he should put himself up as as bait for for assets so to speak and uh, but it's kind of tough when you painted your chairman into a corner and you said okay you know I'm going to be traded to one of these five teams Two of them aren't interested, so now you got three teams bidding against each other, and they quickly dropped out, and Housing couldn't get anywhere near the price he wanted. Um, the final deal that the Rangers made blew me away at how little they actually offered. 
Yeah, well, you know, I was always I I thought that was really curious because the Rangers, you know, obviously the best team in hockey at the moment have the best record and they're looking awfully good. I, I'm not sure why they would want to mess up the chemistry for a guy. And look, Rick Nash is a great player, but I mean, look, he's not even a point a game guy really. His entire career, and he's never played in the playoffs. It's a bit of a risky thing to to go. Do you know what the the Rangers allegedly offered? Yeah, well, the the, the offer that I've seen published by a, a number of people was. Uh, uh, the defenseman Erickson, who can't play for the Rangers right now, he lost out to Jeff Wika, who's you know at best a journeyman. He so you know Erickson's a, a seven. He may be a good defenseman someday, but he's not going to help the Columbus Blue Jackets right now. Uh, it was uh, J.T. Miller, who's a, a pretty good prospect. It was uh, Steve Thomas's uh, boy. Uh, I think it's Christian Thomas, and uh, a first round pick next year. For this year, and Brandon Dubinsky, who has seven goals, maybe, and is so, to me, just so overrated here in New York. I mean, they were talking about, you know, they could do like Dubinsky and, and a pick for Nash, and that's somehow fair to everybody. Um, so that was the final deal, and if Scott Housen took that deal, I don't think he would have survived another three minutes. Yeah, it's better off for him, I think, too, to wait for the draft because it's a, it's going to be. First of all, maybe they'll open up to more teams if Housen is still even even the GM at that point. But clearly, they've got a better shot at trading him in the draft, and maybe they can tell Nash, "Hey, what about these four or five other teams?" Like, you know, why he would want to go to L.A. I have no idea either. It's just very very curious. Um, teams that he had picked too i mean some of them made sense obviously the rangers made sense and the sharks make sense but you know la what does he just want to come hang by the beach i don't know uh, maybe he thinks unlike you maybe he thinks that they can make a run at it you know and then he threw toronto on the list because he wanted to play near home and you know but again if, if he's doing this as he says out of the goodness of his heart for the organization then you know hopefully when the summer comes around the draft or or right before free agency opens he does open up the list because you know there's teams like nashville was interested in him nashville you know very aggressive at the trade deadline that was a non-starter you know nash wanted nothing to do with going to nashville which would have been a great headline uh, nash to nashville come on yeah, it would have been great for the headline writers here at dot com, but uh, you know he, he's not really interested in that. And you know what, Columbus couldn't really do it. You can't send that guy, you know, across the division and let him beat up on you for another ten years. That would have been a, a, a disaster. So, but you know, there are teams that that are going to want to get in on this, and and that might not be on his list, and and understand, like you know, you you look at a team like Carolina or Nashville or Edmonton, any of those teams. They understand that they have to make offers that are are better than the Rangers are going to make or Toronto's going to make because they can't compete in trades and they can't compete in free agency. Players don't want to go there as easily as they do to other places, so they have to overpay. So you might get a team that would come in and say, listen, McNash is going to be the centerpiece of our next 10 years. He's somebody we could sell to the fans, and we're just going to blow New York's offer out of the water. But if that, if he's not a, if that team's not on Nash's list, it doesn't help the, the Blue Jackets at all. Yeah, well, and I also I think the uh, again the L.A. Kings uh, made a big part played a big part in that as well because Housen raped Dean Lombardi, sending him party boy Jeff Carter for Jack Johnson, who's going to be a star defenseman and a number one draft pick. Again, Lombardi, the Kings have no draft picks until the fourth round now, but that's a whole other story. Um, but I think that also helped because Housen made such a good deal there; he couldn't make a worse deal for Nash, so he kind of had did have his hands tied.
Yeah, you know, I, I think that feels a little fairer than, uh, more fair than perhaps you give it credit for. I, I, I think Dean Lombardi had to make that deal. He needs to get some goal scoring in. I don't know if Carter's going to do it, but obviously that's the thought process there. And, and they just can't score goals to save their life right now. They lost again to Nashville two to one. And, you know, they, they're, they're almost at a dead two goals a game. And it's tough to win hockey games at, at a rate to get in the playoffs. Well, because he, he of- traded away all their young talent in scoring. I mean, uh, Wayne Simmons has more goals than anybody else on the Los Angeles Kings has at this point. So, well, yeah, don't, get and, me start, and, don't get me started on that whole thing. Well, I know, but he's, he's trying to fix a mistake and, and hopefully not make a bigger mistake. You know, I, I'm not sold on Jack Johnson. I, I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be okay. I, I, I don't think that he's. Nah, he's going he's gonna to be great when da- when Drew Doughty was out. Jack Johnson was the best player on that team. He really stepped up, and he, him playing in the shadow of Doughty and playing second fiddle to him. He, he's a dominant defenseman, especially on the power play. He he was, I think. He played on the second power play unit on the Kings last year for most of the year, and he still ended up fifth in the league in power play points. So that shows you uh, where he's at. He's going to be a very, very good player. And I mean, look, I don't mind them trading him for for you know for whatever they're going to try to do, you know, so that Mike Richards and Jeff Carter can go uh, spend lots of money in the bars in Manhattan Beach, but. Uh, I do think that they should have, you know, a second or third round pick. Of course, they didn't have any of those, I guess, to give. But I know, just too too high a price, just like he paid too high a price for Mike Richards and just like he paid too high a price for Dustin Penner. And now the Kings are destined to be a mediocre team for the next 10 to 15 years. And no GM is going to want to go to that team once they fi- finally do fire Lombardi because he saddled with these two contracts with Richards and Carter, who are guys who are, from all intents and purposes, not good guys. Yeah, I mean, they're young guys, so, you know, you hope they grow up uh, as they go along. And, and you know, to me, the most amazing thing out of this whole thing was the, the Dustin Brown fallout. When when word got out that he was trying to move Dustin Brown, and it was, uh, I guess, to a very small group of GMs. And, you know, you really can't do that because GMs are going to talk amongst each other. You know, I know Boston, Pittsburgh, I guess, was on that list, New York. And and one of those guys said something to somebody else, and all of a sudden he's taking 15 phone calls on, you know, hey, we'll take Dustin Brown, great player, uh, not a bad contract. And now your captain's here and he's going to be traded, and then the trade deadline passes and he's not. And, and, and the organization never even talked to him. In fact, they were saying on uh, uh, on Hockey Night in Canada that that Brown, who's a class guy and does, he's a great captain, a great guy in the community. They didn't even, as of a day and a half after all that stuff came out, they never even talked to him about it. And they had practices and time to explain things. They never talked to him about it. And the CBC people are saying he was a little miffed about that, which I agree. Anyway, the, the Kings are a disaster, horrific organization. Let's move on from them. Otherwise, uh, I'll, I'll, my head will explode. So the other thing I wanted to mention before we get into our, our the picks that we made before the season or right as the season started, which we can debate here. Um, and we were both pretty much right on stuff. But anyway, I think the other thing about the draft is that by the, the fact that nobody did anything and Nashville actually did uh, do some things, I think that really made them the big winner of the of draft uh, of a I'm sorry trade day because they actually improved themselves and nobody else really did and uh, you know they look pretty good they do they look good you know like I said I think a first round pick is is an outrageous price to pay for Paul Gostad and that's nothing against Paul Gostad but you know if Jeff Carter's getting a first round pick um coming back the other way you know 
I don't know that I put Paul Gostad in that in that category. He's going to be great. Like no matter who Nashville plays in that first round, he's going to be that big guy that can kind of help them out up the middle because almost everybody in the West it seems has some really big centers that are hard to handle. So you know he'll help them out a lot. It'll be interesting to see what the Kostichin brothers do together in Nashville. Um, you know, Sergey didn't really want to. I, Andre, I'm sorry, I get him confused all the time. Andre. <laughs> Not so excited to go there, but uh, you know, kind of changed his tune, and you know, I, I think it'll work for him. I think, I think in a system where there's some structure, and and that's one thing Barry Trotz is very good at. You know, he'll get something out of him. You look at Radulov was there, and, and Radulov played phenomenally for for Trotz. He understands guys. He understands you know moody guys. He understands primitive honors. He understands everybody, and he makes them all work together. So. You know, I, I think they're going to do good. They gotta, they have to get deep into the playoffs. Just getting to the second round is going to do it anymore. And you know what? All that was predicated on the fact that Shea Weber and uh, and the other guy, Shea Weber and Suter, Ryan Suter, basically backed David Poyle into a corner by saying, you know, we're going to go to free agency and we want to see if this team's committed to winning. And so Poyle had to do a lot of that just to sell his own guys and it's worth coming back. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think they certainly look pretty good, and they, you know, if, if they stay healthy and Rene plays well, they could uh, they could go long into the playoffs. But speaking of all that, so I went back, and in uh, basically the first week of the season, we did a show here where we did all of our picks for the entire league, and uh, I went through and I documented all of these. Are you are you scared yet? I'm a little scared. <laughs> well, actually, I you know, it's, it's, if we did this around. Uh... Uh, November or, or early December, but I'm still a little scared. That's all right. It's actually not too bad. So let's review just to show people what we do or do not know. So we started in the East, of course, with the Atlantic Division. I picked in order Pittsburgh first, Philly second, the Rangers third, Islanders fourth, and the Devils in last. Whoops. And Sean picked Philly first, Pittsburgh second, the Rangers third, the Devils fourth, and the Islanders last. Now, we're pretty much right on a little bit on those two. Of course, the big mistake we made is, number one, underestimating the Rangers, although we both did mention that we thought that they would be good if they got healthy, which they have been able to. But the big miss, certainly for me, is the Devils. Where did they come from, and why are they playing this well? Well, they're playing Devils hockey again and just being responsible in both ends. I think Peter DeBoer, their coach, has been excellent. And, and you know, they're not the old Devils. Like, they don't trap anymore. And once Marty kind of figured himself out and, and you know, wasn't bad anymore like he was at the beginning of the season, um, you know, they've been hard to play against. They're struggling a little bit now. But the big thing is they have two lines that, that can score, and they're a lot harder to match up against now than they were before. And I'll tell you what, I went to a game last week when they played Vancouver. It was a two-to-one game, and it was a great game. I went with my family as a fan, and I could just sit there and watch. Ilya Kovalchuk and Zach Parisi and Patrick Elias can just run defenses ragged when they get the puck. There is so much skill on that line, and Kovalchuk, when he's flying, is just a joy to watch. So they're harder to play when they're on offense than they've been in a long time. You know, it's funny about that. As I went to a game in early January, uh, them against the Bruins in New Jersey, and I think I tweeted afterwards that 
it was so sad because Kovalchuk just didn't seem like it cared, and Parisi didn't do anything, and but uh, Brodura got destroyed. It was like six to one game. The Bruins won, and I thought there's this team. The Devils are over. They're just uh, nobody cares. Brodura's done. Kovalchuk is in the wrong system and looks like he doesn't care. And then all of a sudden, two weeks later, they turn around and go on this big, huge run, and now they're you know in in definitely in the playoff conversation. It's crazy. Yeah, no, and and you know what? It, it just goes. There's a lot of veterans on that team, and they, there's still a lot of pride in that organization. I think their better days for now are behind them. Those glory days. They with, at the game I was at, they did a, a Doc Emmerich uh, ceremony for the guy, uh, Doc Emmerich, uh, the announcer who did 20 years of their broadcast, and was pretty much the voice of hockey since I moved here to New Jersey. And uh, you know, so a lot of it was highlight reels, and you just forget. I mean, that was this was class of the league for a long time they were the model franchise that all the franchises built themselves around for good or bad and then well, un- unless you like exciting hockey and then they weren't but yeah but it was it was the blueprint for a long time and, and you know they were that's a proud proud franchise and it's it's showing this year, I think. I think, you know, I think a lot of guys on that Devils team are looking around and saying, I got one, maybe two more kicks at this. And, you know, we actually have a chance. So let's go and do it. So they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs, I think. Yeah, but they're, they are old. And I think that in the playoffs, you can frustrate a guy like Kovalchuk a little bit more. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, hey, look, you never discount Martin Brodeur. I mean, one of the greatest goaltenders, if not the greatest goaltender of all time. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think the playoffs this year, more than any other, really, really bode pretty well. But that was the the North or the Atlantic division, excuse me. So the Northeast division, we were a little a myth here, actually quite a bit a myth. I picked Buffalo, Boston, Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa. You picked Buffalo, Boston, Montreal, Toronto and Ottawa. We both missed out on Ottawa, who's obviously has has awoken and uh, are playing better. And then we obviously both missed out on Buffalo, who by all intents and purposes looked like they were going to be a good team. And, and Ryan Miller, what happened to him? I think he lost his way. I, you know, I, I think when, when teams go to Europe early in the year, which Buffalo did this year, they went to Germany, it goes one of two ways. It really either galvanizes them. There's been a lot of teams that have gone to Europe and made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. The Rangers this year. The Rangers, or they just go in the tank. I think at least five coaches that have gone to Europe have been fired in season that year. So, um, you know, the Kings for a while were that way. And uh, and Anaheim, the first time they went, were just a disaster when they came back. So it goes one or two ways. So I think that was part of it. And then I also think that that team had a lot of problems internally. You know, they brought in a lot of new guys, and they, they messed with their chemistry a lot. And then I think it was in November, if, I, if I'm right, was when Lucic ran Miller uh, chasing down that loose puck, yep, yep. And, no, and nobody stood up to him, and, and the Bruins really got inside their head, and, you know, and Miller got a concussion, and, you know, for a goalie, I, I think it's really tough to get your reflexes back. And then, you know, and Ryan Miller spoke today after Gostad got traded and was like, if I had more power in this organization, Paul Gostad would still be here. And, and, you know, you hear comments like that come out of the room, and you're just like, whoa, you know, what's going on there? Like, there's clearly a disconnect somewhere. 
Well, I also think, look, as great a coach as Lindy Ruff is, he's been there forever. And you talk to a lot of athletes, and after a while, they, the message just gets lost after you've heard it enough times. There's only so many times you can figure out how to motivate somebody or have that same message resonate. And it seems like certainly it's not resonated this year. And they've been, well, you know, everybody, not just us, we're picking them to be one of the, the it teams in the East. They've just been a disaster. Yeah, I, they've, been a, they've been a big disappointment. Well, I feel bad for our, our good friend Drew Stafford. I, I haven't talked to him lately, but I imagine he's not having a lot of fun up there. No, and he's had kind of a tough year. And, you know, there were whispers right before the deadline that maybe maybe Buffalo was going to do a whole resale and, and you know, kind of just start dumping guys. And, and Drew's name came up. And, you know, you wonder. I know he likes it there, but you wonder what would happen if he went someplace else. So, but, you know, guys do that, and then the next year they come back fresh and, and you know, just dominate. So hopefully that's what's going to happen. I have a feeling the trade, the, the uh, I'm sorry, that the uh, NHL draft this year is going to be really interesting because a lot of these teams that don't make the playoffs that we're talking about doing some trades, there's a lot of guys' names that were thrown out there that could very well move around then. It should be interesting. So the other team that we really messed up on here in the Northeast was Ottawa. We both picked them to be last, and all of a sudden, right, as of today, they're in the playoff picture. Like, they're in the playoffs. As of today, they're two points behind the Bruins um, <laughs> for the lead in the Northeast, but they have a few games in hand. Um, they, you know, that's a tough one to explain. Uh, I don't really know how that happened. I guess you give a lot of credit to Paul McClain and, and you know the way he's handled some guys. I mean, Jason Spets has just blossomed under him. He, he's a, he's the dominating player that everybody thought he was going to be, and then Eric Carlson is, is like. He's number six in the scoring race, and he's a defenseman. I can't even remember the last time that happened. It was probably Mike Green at his prime, but Carlson's an even better offensive player than Mike Green was. Yeah, crazy. So we we missed up a little a little bit there. That was the, probably the worst one of the bunch. And then we go to the southeast where I had Washington, Tampa Bay, Carolina, Florida, and Winnipeg. You had Washington, Tampa Bay, Carolina, Winnipeg, and Florida. So there, obviously, we both, as everybody did, thought Washington would be better. And they've you know had a lot of injuries. And I've I've seen the Caps play f- live four times this year, and obviously I watch them on TV a lot. Alexander Ovechkin is not the same guy. I don't know what happened, where things went wrong, if it's within the organization, whether it's a personal thing, but he's not the same guy. He floats for probably 70% of the game, and he never used to float before. So I don't know. What's what's going on with him? He's Well, first of all, if you really want sober, and he's number 44 on the scoring list right now. I mean, he's, he's an ordinary player, and, and it's it's heartbreaking to watch because he was the most exciting player in the league to me because he was physical. Like, there's other guys that have this kind of skill that Alex Ovechkin has, but they won't go north and south like he did. I mean, he just, he was the guy that you always wanted, at least for me, always wanted to watch. And and, and the light's kind of gone out. The fire is, is dimmed. Um, you know, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the way he plays the game. It takes a physical toll. I don't know if this year things just got ugly so fast and, and there's been so many injuries and there's so much pressure on, on, on Alex, you know, and, and he's held to such a high regard on that team. Like, I don't know what it is. And again, you just, you're like, oh, you know, I hope. I hope they figure it out. And, and I'll tell you what, he's going to have to reinvent himself as a player. Everybody knows his move now. Everybody knows his top three moves because he just goes to him. He's like, you know, and I've explained this before, he's like he's like Randy Johnson. 
you know, Randy Johnson, once he got good, he could just rear back and throw the ball as fast as humanly possible, and guys would bail out or they, they, they would swing behind it. But then Randy Johnson started losing his fastball, and it took him a while before he said, you know what, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I need another pitch. And he, he found it, and he was good again. Uh, Alex has to do that. He can't go down the wing anymore and try and bull past defensemen. They just know how to play him now. Well, in this division, and, and I especially in our early coverage mentioned how much improved I thought Florida was and how I really liked the what Dale Talon had done. I, I thought they were a year away, but they're a little bit closer. But there's a really interesting dynamic here between Washington and Florida that really turned the, the tables, I think, a lot of the pinpointing when it started to go wrong for Washington and when it started to go right for Florida. And that coincides with when Washington traded away Thomas Fleischman and when Thomas Fleischman got to Florida. He's one of those guys where, you know, every team's got to have that, you know, second to third line guy who, who has the big goals. Bergenheim is another example with Tampa last year. One of the reasons why they went so far is he's a guy that out of nowhere had a great season. And Thomas Fleischman is constantly scoring big goals at big times. He's like a Max Talbot, you know, all these sort of guys that are really, you have to have that type of player to win. And as soon as Washington traded him, that's when they started to go south. And then Florida kind of picked it up when they got him. Yeah. You know, Thomas has been good for him and they call it lightning in a bottle a lot. I mean, that Jason Garrison, who, who would know that, you know, he was going to be as good as he is the defenseman. He career highs in all kinds of offensive categories to the point now where he's gone from being, you know, maybe being sent to the minors to negotiating, you know, a multi-year big money contract. And they're actually talking about him testing the un- unrestricted market because his value is so high now. You know, and then you look at their goaltending and, and, you know, I've always been a fan of Scott Clemenson ever since he was Marty's backup. And that one year Marty got hurt and Scotty pretty much carried him into the playoffs. But their goaltending tandem is Jose Teodor, who is, you know, past his prime. I don't think I'm insulting anybody by saying that. And Scott Clemenson, and, and that's going to get, there's a good chance that's going to get him into the playoffs as, as the Southeast Division champion, because I think that's the only team that gets in out of the Southeast. As close as that division is, it, it, it's almost a, a race to mediocrity. Now, <clears throat> here we are picks of the eight teams that we thought would make it to the playoffs from the Eastern Conference. I picked Philly, Pittsburgh, Rangers, Buffalo, Boston, Toronto, haha, Washington, and Tampa Bay. I picked Buffalo and Pitt in the final, with Pitt going to the to the cup. Uh, Buffalo ain't going to get there. You picked Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Washington, Philadelphia, Boston, Toronto, the Rangers, Carolina, and then you had um, Buffalo and Boston in the final with Boston going to the Stanley Cup final. So we're pretty, you know, fairly right on there. There's a couple teams, obviously, that, that pop up. You know, Toronto, I kind of picked out of the blue, thought they might make it. They're on the bubble. But the one team we, we both missed is Winnipeg. Yeah, I guess I guess that goes to show you that uh, a crazy home fan base is worth 10 points in the standings um, because they, they, they've accelerated their process uh, much faster than I thought they would. But they've done they've done a fantastic job, and they're they're right in that pace right now. Yeah, you know it's interesting because my good friend Chris Jericho, who's from Winnipeg, I was hanging out with him before the season, or right as the season started, kind of, and he was telling me that because I was saying, you know, good luck, enjoy your team up there; they're going to be awful. In fact, I said that 
when we were doing our picks in November or early, uh, late October. And he said, you watch that arena is going to win games for them. Cause it's so crazy there. And those people, he, cause he obviously he, he used to live there and he's there a lot still. He said, those people there are so freaked out about having that team that, that it's going to be so loud and crazy there that that's going to win them some games. And sure enough, he's right. And you know what the other thing is, is there's accountability now, you know, those guys, no matter who it is, if it's a fourth-line guy, if it's the seventh defenseman, if it's the backup goalie, those guys, whenever they go anyplace in Winnipeg, everybody knows them, and everybody says, what's wrong with the Jets? How could you lose to this team last night? That wasn't happening to those guys when they were in Atlanta. You know, and it's like anything else. When somebody's looking over your shoulder every day and demanding that you be good and that you entertain them, it's the same thing with bands. You know, you look at any good band, their fans are always right on top of them saying, you did really good, you got to do better, you got to make it better, that's the only way we're going to support you. And I think that's why, especially like with metal music, why it's so good is because there's such a level of accountability. There's a discerning taste that says, I'm only going to support you if you're good and you do the things that I want. And that's what's happening in Winnipeg. There's no more taking a night off and saying, you know what, I don't really feel like playing tonight, and the 7,000 people in the stands aren't going to care or aren't going to know. Everybody in Winnipeg knows, and there's no way you get up the next morning and go for breakfast at the local the local restaurant that you go to every day and, and think you're going to get away with eating your pancakes without hearing a, a bunch of grief. So now <clears throat> let's take a look at the standings in the East, and we've got you know pretty much we know the Rangers are going to be in, Boston's going to be in, Pittsburgh, Philly, and the Devils all look, and, and Ottawa at this point, although they've got a few games in hand. All those teams look to be, unless something completely falls off the rails, they're going to make it. Uh, obviously, it's between Florida and Washington for the division title. Uh, that's a bit of a tough one. I, I want to say that, that the Caps are going to do it, but I, I don't know, man. Watching them lately, I don't think they're going to do it. So let me ask you this. Of the of these teams fighting for eighth spot, Winnipeg, Washington, Toronto, and Tampa Bay, which one of those teams do you feel is going to make it into the playoffs? I guess you could pick two because Washington and Florida theoretically could both get get in as well. Um, I, I got to think that Washington's going to figure it out. I mean, they just have enough talent. Mike Green's back. I think a lot of it will come down to whether Nicky Backstrom gets back and, and whether they can solve some of the problems that they have. I mean, I don't understand why Mike Knubel's not playing, uh, but that's just me. I, I wish they would have traded him at the deadline. I wish a team like the Boston Bruins, who know how to use a veteran guy like that, would have got him and, and figured out a way to use him. But I think if they could figure out their problems and Dale Hunter can get that whole team back together, they make it on talent alone. And then, um, and then I'm going to say I'm going to say Winnipeg. I, I think the crowd's going to push him. So I said before that only one Southeast team will make it, but I think it's going to be two now. I haven't liked what I've seen out of Toronto for the last week or two weeks. You know, to, to blame the losing streak that they're on now on the media covering the trade deadline and making players uncomfortable, I think is the wrong message to send. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you there. So I picked Buffalo and Pittsburgh to be in the Eastern Conference Final. Clearly, that ain't going to happen because Buffalo's not going to make it in. So I'm going to amend, I'm going to, you know, take a mulligan on that and amend it. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say the Rangers in Pittsburgh in the Eastern Conference Final. I'm still picking Pittsburgh to go to the Cup, but uh, you want to amend yours? I mean, you, ha- you picked Boston and, and uh, Buffalo, so you probably have to amend yours as well. I do. I'm going to stick with Boston, of course, because they're still they're still in the mix, and uh, I think they can have a good playoff run. I like the moves they made at the deadline. 
um, nothing splashy, but last year on for Cavalier, it was nothing splashy, and they all came out uh, to help them out a lot. And then I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. I, I, I think, you know, I was talking on a Pittsburgh radio station this week with somebody. I don't think the Rangers can handle Evgeny Malkin, and then, God forbid, they get Sidney Crosby back. But Evgeny Malkin's been so good, and as good as the the, the the Rangers are defensively, they don't have that big guy that can just contain Malkin. And, and I think he can be the difference in the series, even with as good as Henrik Lundqvist has been. I, I think it'd be a fascinating series to watch. But, uh, you know, I think that I think that Pittsburgh gets by him and then, you know, they'll play Boston in the, uh, in the Eastern Conference Final. And I, I see that being a six or seven game series. And I guess the key for Boston, they got to keep Tim Thomas off his Facebook page saying crazy things. Well, he is a free citizen, so he can go on his Facebook page whenever he wants. No, what they need to do with Tim Thomas is they need to either say they're going to trade him at the end of the year, tell him he's no good, tell him that whatever team he's playing at said he stinks, because that is a guy who just thrives. But it, see, but it seems to, to me, though, that, that as soon as that whole debacle happened at the White House where he didn't show up, that that really hurt that team chemistry. I mean, maybe now they've they've been able to figure it out, but you just don't. To me, you just don't not go to a team event like that. I mean, that's putting yourself above the team, and that's not something you should ever do. And people who win Stanley Cups generally are all about the team, no matter what. And for him to do that, I, I lost an awful lot of respect for him. I, I don't like him, but that was just uh, that was just crazy. But you know what? I, I think, and a lot of people in Boston skirted around this and, and and suggested some of it. He wasn't part of that team last year. He, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm being serious. He's a free. He is a free citizen. He's a free agent. Like if you remember last year, like he doesn't have like his pads are not Bruins colors. I don't think his logo. I don't think the Bruins logo is on his mask. Like there's some very subliminal things that would suggest that Tim Thomas is an employee of the Boston Bruins. He is not a Boston Bruin. Like ever since they tried to trade him, he has not been you know that guy that's in the trenches and saying hey you know the franchise all the way i love the organization he was saying hey my teammates you know i'm gonna play hard for him but i don't think there's that uber loyalty there that that maybe some other players have and i think they figured that out in the room and they did they suffered for a while but i i, I think that's past them unfortunately when they get to the playoffs and if they do get deep into the playoffs it's all going to come come home to roost and it's going to be a hard thing for them to get over and now let's turn to the West. And again, I made the wonderful uh, list here of what we picked. So let's go with the, we'll start with the Central Division. And that was, I picked <laughs> Chicago, Detroit, Nashville, St. Louis, Colorado. You picked Detroit, Nashville, Chicago, St. Louis, Colorado. So we definitely did a big hiccup there, certainly with Chicago. Goaltending is clearly the the problem there, and the fact that Taves is out isn't helping them. I just saw them play uh, the two sh the two games here in Southern California against the Kings and the Ducks, and they got blown out as a total of seven to one goals against. So they they uh, they're not looking too good at the moment. Detroit is Detroit; they're going to be good, and they're going to be too old for the playoffs. And now Lidstrom's out for how long? Did they say how long he's out? No, no, I think uh, right now it's a day-to-day, -day. he took a shot off the ankle, and I can't, who knows, but I can't see him being out long, that guy's like a robot. 
And, and the big surprise, of course, is the St. Louis Blues. Who knew that Ken Hitchcock, well, I mean, Ken, Hitch, Ken Hitchcock, not like Alfred Hitchcock, uh, although he looks kind of like him. Uh, he looks a little like A little bit. Gra- phenomenal coach. And I, I had the, I was really lucky. He's a, a good friend with the guy that runs the Central Hockey League, which I'm involved with a little bit. And I had, was able to kind of have lunch with him one day along with uh, the guys who run the CHL. And he's a really insanely smart hockey guy. Like he said some really interesting things and he, he knows what he's talking about. So he's turned that team around big time. I mean, I never would have thought that they'd be in this position. Yeah, no, and you know what else he knows a lot about? The Civil War. <laughs> he is a Civil War freak, and but I think he has a very, like, that kind of mind, like a very analytical, like, battlefield, like if if one team does this, the other team's going to counter this way, and then, you know, I'm going to exploit the gap, and, you know, like, he, he, I, it's almost like he treats games like the Battle of the Bulge or whatever, you know, he, he's, it always seems like he's one step ahead, and, and he really knows how to use his assets, and, you know, and they, they, they you know what, I mean, they've had great goaltending, they're, they're probably going to be the first team that I can remember it easily since the work stoppage, if not longer, that has a tandem that's going to be a high seed in the playoffs. I mean, both uh, both Elliot and Halak have, have played well for them. Elliot basically saved their season. And then, you know, they they made some smart moves in the offseason. They got some veteran guys. They got Arnett and, and Lagan Bruno who have won cups, and David Backus is coming into his own. And, and the one guy is Alex, uh, the defenseman Alex Peterangelo, um, and I'm sure I just said his name wrong because uh, everybody says it seven different ways, but uh, <laughs> he's been fantastic for them. But, how, I mean, I, right now they're only two points away from having the best record in the entire NHL. Now, when you look on paper at who's on that team, how, I still am not sure how it's happening. Because they don't give up goals. I mean, they, they, they're actually giving up less than two goals a game. And so, you know, you would think that, like, one goal a game would go off somebody's skate or somebody's butt or whatever, or somebody's mouth. We saw that last week when uh, the kid from Washington put one in with his tongue. But uh, they they just haven't given up those kind of goals. And it's all system. And, and, you know, some really good veteran guys that are buying into what, what Hitchcock's selling. Yeah, as of today, only the Rangers have given up less goals than the St. Louis Blues have. I guess I'm going to have to start watching them a little bit more. I Honestly, it's hard for me to watch the Blues because they put me to sleep. And as brilliant as Ken Hitchcock is, they're, they're boring. But I guess I'm going to have to start watching them a little bit more because clearly you know, they're right up there with Vancouver. And you know so. what? They have some guys on their team that are just so much fun to watch. I could watch David Backus play hockey all day because, you know, he's that old school kid. He's like a David Clarkson from the from the Bruins or I mean from the from the Devils or, or even like a, a a better Sean Thornton from the Bruins. He's like one of those guys. He's going to run around. He's going to run people. He's going to go to the front of the net. He's going to score dirty goals. He'll fight when he has to. Like he he's a guy that literally every game could could put together a Gordy Howe hat trick if he put his mind to it. And and. <laughs> Yeah, I just love watching them. Well, now, in the Northwest, which is probably the weakest of all the divisions, I think, aside from Vancouver, we both pretty much picked some similar Vancouver. I picked Vancouver, Colorado, Minnesota, Edmonton, Calgary. You picked Vancouver, Colorado, Minnesota, Calgary, Edmonton. So that's pretty accurate there. I think we're, we both kind of got that one you know, fairly accurately right, which it's not hard to do because three of those teams are not very good, although I do think, I still do think, and especially they're going to get the second or third overall pick again is Edmonton. They're just stockpiling so much talent. If they get a goaltender, 
uh, and another another defenseman. They're gonna they're gonna be they're at this point they should be good for a long time if they could just get that goaltender. That's what they need. But you know what scares me about that is they've added so much high end talent so quickly that when they finally get good, all those guys are going to come to age and they're not going to be able to pay them all. Well, we'll see. You know, Pittsburgh has been able to do it. You know, they've been able to, I mean, the same situation where you had all those guys come at the same time, and they've been able to do it. I guess the key is, you know, if those if they like playing in Edmonton, if they start having some success, you know, maybe they're able to do it. It'll definitely be very interesting for, for sure, but they'll be good. And Vancouver somehow keeps winning. I'm still not sure how, but they do. Uh, and then in the West, we which is always a tough division to pick, and we both said at the outstart that, that this is going to be separated by probably three or four points, and sure enough, it's separated by three or four points. I had picked uh, San Jose, Detroit, L.A., Anaheim, Phoenix. You had picked San Jose, L.A., Anaheim, Dallas, Phoenix. And, of course, we both missed out here on Phoenix, which is another one of those teams that you're wondering how they're they're winning. But Dave Tippett, one thing you one thing that is interesting about Tippett and the way he he coaches. I mean, they're probably the most trapping defensive team in the league, and that certainly helps their goaltending because you look at Brizgalov, who was brilliant for Phoenix, and he's struggling mightily in Philly now, and Mike Smith, who was pretty much horrible in Tampa, comes back to Phoenix with Dave Tippett again, and all of a sudden he's a star NHL goaltender. Yeah, well, it's a lot easier to, to play goal when there's four guys you know, committed to blocking shots and being in, in, in shooting lanes and making everybody shoot from the outside. Um, you know, and then you get your confidence going, and then you can make the big saves when you need to make them. And another thing in Phoenix, again, it's kind of that accountability issue, you know, in reverse. Like, nobody's climbing all over Mike Smith right now if he lets in a bad goal. And there's Rizgalov sitting in Philly, and, and they, they're just having visions of Hextall all over again, or that whole litany of goalies that have just abandoned them in the playoffs and, and turned their dreams into dust. You know, they, they see that happening again, and, and that guy, he can't catch a break. They're ready to run him out of town as fast as they can, and, and his confidence is gone. And he is a very cerebral goalie, and, you know, he, he gets into these funks, and it, it's just almost shocking to watch how much it affects his game. And, and you know, they have a huge problem. But the, to me, Dave Tippett, his track record is, is maybe, you know, one of the top five coaches in the NHL. Yeah, he's killing the league with that style, but they do win. Uh, unfortunately, he's not. Yeah, playing. You're the coach, and they give you your players, and your job is to figure out a way to win. You know, he could be a lot more interesting, and he could be on the unemployment line. Yeah, well, hey, I guess that. But he's not putting uh, he's not putting people in the seats there either because of that style. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, so playoff wise, we picked. I picked for the West: Detroit, Chicago, Nashville, Vancouver. Dallas, L.A., San Jose, and Anaheim. You picked Detroit, Nashville, Chicago, Vancouver, Colorado, San Jose, L.A., Anaheim. So the only team we dis- we we disagreed on was I had Dallas and you had Colorado, which either of those could go either way. Of course, we both, again, missed out on Phoenix, who looks – I mean, right now they're leading that division, which is kind of interesting. So the stretch run is going to be really interesting in the West. I still think Anaheim's going to make it. They look so good. And Bruce, another coach who's brilliant, is Bruce Boudreaux, completely turned around that team. And if they again, if they stay healthy, the only problem with the Ducks is they are really thin. Like, if they lose any of their big guys, they're going to be in trouble. But if those guys stay healthy and Hiller keeps playing well, I can't see how they're not going to make the playoffs. They're playing so well right now. But that... They've got 20 games left, and they have five 
four teams that they have to climb over, and with with overtime wins and shootouts, it's really hard to pick up points. Yeah, it's gonna be look. It's gonna be tough, but I mean, they're playing so well. I mean, they're what are they seven two and one in the last ten? Oh no, I'm sorry. They're yeah, six, six two and two. I mean, nobody has more points than them since January first. They've played fantastic hockey. There's no doubt about yeah, it. And they're getting there. I mean, look, it's it's you know they're only six points out, and I think the Calgary and the Kings are struggling. I think they're going to continue to struggle. Colorado. You know they're playing pretty well. It's going to be interesting. The sharks, the sharks are really the team that's kind of fallen apart, and I'm really, which makes me surprised that they didn't make any really big deals at the trade deadline. But I guess they they feel somehow they're going to figure it out. Yeah, and they they went on a massive road trip, and, and they've got some injuries. You know, uh, Murray's out, and uh, and Havlat's out. So you know they've got some guys that need to come back, and, and I think once they see their team as a whole, and they're not. On a ten day, a ten game, sixteen day trip, I think they're going to like their team a lot more. Now, I had picked San Jose and Chicago to be in the final, and you had picked Nashville and San Jose to be in the final. So you clearly were farther ahead than I am because I do think that Nashville has a a good chance to make it. But it, it's hard for me to really pick anymore. I, I for some reason I still like the Sharks. I don't know why. I, I, for some reason, I think they're going to kind of get it together right right before the playoffs and, and make a bit of a run. But otherwise than that, I mean, I, I kind of tend to agree with you, Nashville and San Jose maybe still. I don't know. What what do you think? Uh, I'm sticking with it. I, I'm, I'm not sold I'm not sold on uh, on Vancouver, and I don't know why. I mean, part of it's Luongo. I just see him having some sort of epic disaster in the playoffs like he did last year, you know, upsetting the other goalies so he plays superhuman and, and putting the bulletin board material up. Uh, and, you know, and the deal that they made, that Hodgson for Cassian deal, like, to me, it just reeks of desperation, like, you know, oh, we got to get tougher. Milan Lucic exposed us last year. Like, you have the best team in hockey. Like, literally, you have the best, the most points. You, you've been lights out since November. There's no need to mess with the team. And then, uh, you know, I think that's a huge deal that they made. And, and I'm curious to see what the implications are going to be. So now I picked Pittsburgh and San Jose in the cup final way back in October. And Pittsburgh winning. I'm sticking with it. I'm going to stick with it. I'm still going to say Pittsburgh, San Jose in the final with Pittsburgh winning. And you had picked Boston and San Jose in the final with Boston winning. So are you sticking with your pick as well? I am. As long as my team is still alive, I'm sticking with them. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So you have Boston, I have Pittsburgh winning it. So I guess we we will see in a few short months. One thing I will say, I do think that this playoff run this year could be one of the most competitive and interesting in a long time because all of these teams are pretty closely matched. I'm looking at the playoffs if you look at it now, and the only team I think that probably wouldn't have a lot of big run in them is maybe Winnipeg uh, or maybe Dallas, you know, the eighth seeds in each. But other than that, those the top seven seeds in each conference are are pretty close together. It's going to be interesting. You know, maybe Florida, I'm not sure that they can make a deep run, but you never know. I mean, you know, they've been playing awfully well too, so it should be really interesting. There's going to be some tough series. If you look at it now, if the playoffs started today, Pittsburgh and Philly have to play each other, which is going to be crazy. And Detroit and Nashville has to play each other in the first round. That's too yeah. tough. Those, those four fives, whoever they are, are going to be tough series. Those four fives are going to be bad. And I think the three six in the West is going to be bad. The three six in the East might not, depending on who wins the Southeast um, and who finishes in that six hole. But 
uh, yeah, uh, I just think I think there's going to be some wars. I mean, everybody is so close, and, and you know, games have been so close this year. It, to me, it's been the most competitive year I can remember in a long time. I'm going to agree. So, everybody, there's there's our picks. We'll see how we do. We did fairly well, I think, from the beginning of the season, and we'll see how it goes. Anyway, that's going to do it for this, men- mon- ugh, this month's mental misconduct. I've run out of time. I can't speak anymore. So, that's going to do it. We'll see you guys next month. Any parting shots, Mr. No, Rourke? enjoy the season. we got a month left. By the, probably by the time we uh, convene next time to do this, we're going to be right on the cusp of the playoffs. And uh, it, should be, uh, it should be amazingly exciting. And uh, I know I'm going to enjoy it, so I hope everybody else does. Very good. So follow me on Twitter. I'm at Brian Slagle. Follow Sean on Twitter. He's got some crazy. What is your thing? You got underscores and all sorts of. I got underscores. Going on. I got everything. It's S Rock underscore NHL. That's that's you got to you got to simplify that somehow. Just just. I'll, I'll work on it. Sean NHL or something. All right, guys. We'll see you guys next month.